Because of all these scriptures and these principles, this is why we interpret the woman as Israel. And this is why we interpret the child as Christ. The woman must receive Christ. Right? And then we see that the dragon is Satan who wants to devour Israel. To thwart the work and the plan of God. Okay? God is not finished with Israel. I always go back to this. Remember the promise to Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park here in Los Angeles, California. We are a small fellowship of diverse believers who want to serve our Lord and do His will. You can find out more about our fellowship at ccechopark.com. Join us for our live stream on Sunday in the New Testament and Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. Now let's get into the Word of God in our weekly podcast. The teaching is from Pastor David Higa and will be the study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the book of Revelation. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Now, who on earth is this? If we just read this, chapter 12, verse 1, who on earth is this? context that we need to point to is that God is not finished with Israel. That's actually the conclusion I'm going to go to. God is not finished with Israel. And so we remember we noted this in chapter 7, the first parenthetical, the 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe. You know, there were some that said that's representative of the church. I don't believe that. When God says 12,000 from every tribe of Israel, God means what he says. God says what he means. So we take that literal, right? And definitely we can kind of see how scriptures kind of measure out on that, right? God is not finished with Israel. We go to uh, Romans chapter 11. Remember the olive tree, right? The wild olive branch is grafted in. Who's that? That's us Gentiles, right? But then remember the native branches were broken off? And he says, that's Israel. But he says, know this, that in the latter days, God's not finished with Israel. He's going to graft them back in. Okay, so we go to these scriptures for context. And we go to all these different promises to Israel, the Abrahamic covenant. We go to the, the New Covenant, right? The New Covenant is not just promised to the church. You know, the New Covenant is promised to Israel as well. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, right? When he's going to write their law in their hearts and their minds. And so these things haven't been fulfilled. And so we say, well, God's promise, is God's promise good? Well, absolutely. And so he's going to fulfill this, right? And so we go to Scripture, the context of Scripture. There's a lot of things for Israel that hasn't been fulfilled. Therefore, we say God is not finished with Israel. So, could it be that this woman is Israel, representative of Israel? Well, how do you say that? Well, we know that the context of the scripture as a whole would say that God is not finished with Israel. Now, for this specific vision, I want to go to another vision. And this is where I think it kind of drives it home. This is in the book of Genesis. And this is Joseph's dream. Remember Joseph's dream? This is Joseph way back in Genesis. He's one of the, one of the sons of Jacob. Remember, Joseph had two dreams when he was a young man. And that's why he didn't like him. Actually, he was a teenage boy probably, right? And all his older brothers didn't like him, right? Because there's two dreams that basically the family would all be bowing down to him. What's interesting, the second dream, which pretty much ratifies it. You know, when you have one dream, it's one thing. But when you have two dreams that say the same thing, bowing down, right, it's probably from the Lord. Okay, so in the second dream, the description is very similar to this. Okay, so let's go... And read that. Genesis chapter 37. And let's look at um, verses 9 through 11. I've given you the context, okay? And so this is the second dream. We know that his older brothers have a lot of animosity toward him, right? And so he has this dream. He has this dream of the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, okay?
Okay, so let's read from chapter 37, verse 9. It says, then he appeared, or excuse me, then he dreamed, still another dream. This would be Joseph, the second dream, right? And told it to his brothers and said, look, I have seen, or I have dreamed another dream. At, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, so it's very interesting, right? This sounds just like the dream that we had in, in the book of Revelation. Okay, so the only difference is this, is the stars. 11 stars versus what? 12 stars, okay? So 12 stars, we know that the 12 brothers, right? But right here, right? 11 stars probably is not referring to his younger brother. Think about it, right? Hasn't come on the scene yet. So all that to say is we can read this and we can see that this vision, who's he talking about? That really all his brothers, Israel's going to bow down to him. All his brothers, that's really a mark to Israel, right? It's a sign to Israel. Jacob, right, his wives and then all the brothers, right? That's Israel. And he has this vision. Joseph, they're all going to bow down to him. Did they all bow down to him? Remember the 11 brothers, right? They bowed down to him. They all bowed down to him right there in Egypt. Remember that? You can read that account in your own time. It's a wonderful story about Joseph. How they all bowed down to him. So all that to say, now when you go to the book of Revelation, and let's read that again. It says, now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Can we now say that Maybe it's speaking about the same thing, Israel. Now, note the context of the book of Revelation. Revelation refers to Israel time and time again. And as we look through verses 1 through 6, it's going to talk about the woman had a child. Now, I think that child is Jesus, and we're going to see that. So the context even within here, right? Israel. Israel had what? Messiah, right? From Israel, Messiah came. Okay, and then we're going to look at how the dragon, which I believe is Satan, goes after Israel. And we noted this in the Olivet Discourse. We'll refer to this again a little bit later. What happens at the abomination desolation? The Olivet Discourse, Jesus said, hey, when you see that happen, you better flee, Israel, because what? Antichrist is going to try to kill you. And so we see all this other scripture gives us what context here, that we can interpret this woman as being Israel. <clears throat> Within the context of the Bible as a whole, Within chapter 12, <clears throat> right? We have that context, and then we have these cross references of Scripture. It tells us that we can interpret this symbolically as Israel. Okay? So it says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, the moon, and uh, uh, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Okay? So. You know, you can read this and kind of start to put things together. If this woman is, is Israel, it says, then being with child. What child are they talking about? Now, maybe they'll say David, right? But then, really, it's speaking, it's pointing to Messiah, right? You can kind of read this because, and even the, the Bible um, uh, translators, right? Notice in verse, in verse uh, 4 and 5, it, it, it makes uh, the child, it puts a capital C. Now, why do they do that? They do that because they're interpreting it for you. It's probably referring to what? Messiah, Jesus. That's what they're doing. Now, whether you want to kind of receive that or not, 
and have them interpret it for you, you can let that go. But I believe it's an accurate interpretation of the context and the other reasons I've given you, right? And so this child, if it's Jesus, Jesus has come through what? Messiah has come through Israel, right? And so we look at this. This child would be Jesus, and she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. We know that Jesus was born, right, in a very, very difficult time. And the labor of Mary, we know that what? Boy, she went, when she had labor, what, they, they, she, Jesus was born in, in a trough, basically, in a, in, a, uh, in a cave. There's no room for them in the inn. You can read that whole Matthew chapter 2 account, right? At Christmas, the Magi, they come. And so we can, we can start to, to connect the dots here. The woman is Israel. This child is Jesus. He's born, right? The labor was very painful. Born in a... In, in a cave there. And so it says, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now verse 3, it says a sign again, and another sign. I want you to note that another sign. Again, it gives us a little bit of latitude to interpret this symbolically, right? It's a sign of something literal, but it's not literal. Okay? It says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. So who do you think that is? Red dragon. Kind of like the Chinese New Year, right? You, <laughs> you can see these... No, he's referring to basically Satan. Now, you have to do a little bit more work to interpret this. Now, notice this. A great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Okay, so I want to underscore that, that, that description. We're going to talk a little bit about this. Okay, now, this fiery red dragon, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of different... Um, uh, references to this as being Satan. Okay, so the thing I want to talk about a little bit is the seven heads and ten horns. That's kind of what throws us off. Okay, so I'm going to read you. This is a comment by, um, by John MacArthur, which I think he really, really nails it on the head. Okay, so he talks about this and how um, these uh, seven, seven uh, heads, how they represent a seven of the world Empire, seven of the strongest empires in the world. Okay, so he writes, it says, the seven heads with their seven diadems. Now, what are diadems? They're crowns. Now, let me ask you this. Are they the victor's crowns or the king's crowns? Diadems. Hopefully you know this, right? They're the king's crowns. It's different from Stephanos, which are the victor's crowns. Remember, we noted the 24 elders in heaven, they have the victor's crowns, Stephanos, because they finished the race. They were rewarded. What was that race? This life of faith, right? When their faith turned to sight. That's why we said this is probably representative of the church, right? They've been raptured. They've finished the race in this life, and they now receive their crowns, their rewards. They go through the BMC judgment of Christ. And we talked about that. This is a different crown. It's diadem, so the crown of the king. Okay, so MacArthur writes this. is the seven heads with their seven diadems, a royal crown symbolizing power and authority of a king. They represent seven consecutive world empires running their course under Satan's dominion. Why? Because Satan is the ruler of this world. Right? He's the ruler of this world, and so he runs the world powers. And so these seven consecutive world empires are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then a final seventh empire, which would be the empire that Antichrist, a revived Roman empire, exercises. Okay, so the scripture would seem to indicate there's going to be a revived Roman Empire. And that would be the seventh empire, and this is going to be run by the Antichrist. And this is what Dr. MacArthur is referring to. 
Where would the revived Roman Empire be? Where was the original Roman Empire? It's in the area of Europe. Remember it started, right? Europe and started to move east. When did they move the capital from Constantinople to east, Istanbul, right? It's as they started to go further east, right? So the Roman Empire really started right there in Europe, but then it started to move east. Now, it's interesting, right? If there were to be in a revived Roman Empire, it would be right in that same vicinity. Right? And so think about it, right? It can happen, right? The revived Roman Empire could be a confederacy of these old nations that were part of the old Roman Empire. It's revived. A lot of people believe that's where Antichrist is going to rise. He's going to lead this revived Roman Empire. It could be the, the European community, you know, as they're combining. That's what people think, okay? So all that to say is that we can see it happening, right? And so what, um, what MacArthur says is that these seven Right here, these seven heads, they represent the seven world empires, right? And Satan is the ruler of those, right? And then it says, and ten horns and seven diadems. So let me keep reading here. It says, the final kingdom ruled by Antichrist will be a ten-nation confederacy. The ten horns represent the king who will rule under Antichrist. Okay, so you can actually read uh, Daniel chapter 7. If you read all of chapter 7, but specifically chapter 7, verses 15 through 25, you'll see that it's talking about this. There's four beasts, right? And then this one has, comes up with these, um, uh, uh, these ten horns, right? And he devours three horns. And so you're going to read this, and you're going to see it's describing exactly what's being described here in Revelation. Okay? The ten horns are the ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. I'm just reading right here, cherry-picking, but you want to read that in your own time. And so what MacArthur says is that the shifting of the diadems, the crowns, from the dragon's heads to the beast's horns reveals the shift in power from the seven consecutive world empires to the ten kings under the final Antichrist. That, I think, is spot on. What he's describing is this. We read in chapter 12, this dragon, right? He's fueling the seven world empires, right? And the last one would be the Antichrist, the revived Roman Empire. But that last empire has ten horns. And so there's going to be ten kings that rise up in that last empire, revived Roman Empire. Now we know through Daniel 7 that Antichrist is going to come up and he's going to devour three of those. Maybe they're going to rebel against him, right? But that last empire is the one. Now, what Walver, uh, not Walver, but MacArthur um, states is that in chapter 13, verse 1, Antichrist, he begins to rule, right? And so he talks about the shifting of the diadems from the dragon's heads to the beast's horns, okay? And so 10, right, minus 3 becomes 7 because that small horn is going to, with his Antichrist, he's going to devour 3. And so the shifting of the seven crowns from the dragon's head to the beast's horns, which become seven, reveals the shift in power from the seven consecutive world empires to the ten kings, which become seven kings under the final Antichrist. Okay, so if you hold your hand there and read verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, notice it says this, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. This would be Antichrist, having seven heads and ten horns. Okay, so these ten horns and the seven heads, as MacArthur states, right, the authority that Satan, the dragon, gives to the Antichrist as he begins to rule in this last world empire. Okay, so all that to say is that, again, this is giving us in, uh, understanding on these seven heads and ten horns in verse 3 of chapter 12. 
Satan is the one that starts this, right? And then he transfers that power in the last empire, the revived Roman Empire, to the Antichrist, right? And he gives him that power, and then the Antichrist is going to rule, or try to rule this earth, okay, this last empire. Verse 4, chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Okay, so a lot packed into this verse. Now first, it says his tail. He's still referring to the dragon, right? So the dragons have tails. But notice it says, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. What is he describing here? Well, he's describing the original fall of Lucifer. Now you can reference this in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 17. And then also Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12, 13, and 14. Those are prophecies about Lucifer, how he fell. And what they describe is right here what this is referring to. When Lucifer fell and was cast out of the mount of heaven, when I say the mount of heaven, he was cast out of the government of heaven. What does that mean? Satan still has access to heaven. I don't know if you knew that. As the accuser of the brethren. You can read that in the book of Job and other places. That's his job now, right? He's accused you before God. He has access to heaven until the tribulation, which we're going to see next week when he's cast out of heaven and he's confined to this earth. But right here it's referring to when he's cast out of the government of heaven, the mount of heaven. And so from that point, right, Lucifer gets cast out of the government of heaven. Now he's the accuser of the brethren. Now there's different stages of Satan's diminishing power. That's the first one. And we went over this before. I'm going to give you this again. The second stage of his fall was at the cross of Calvary. And you can refer this to Luke chapter 10, verse 18. That's the account. Remember, he sends out the 70, and they come back. He sends out the 70 with the authority, right, that he says, I'm going to give you at the cross. He sends them out, and they come back and say, hey, even the demons, they obey us. And so he gave them a, a taste of power through the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Through the, through the cross of Calvary. And so he says this, he uses this very, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Remember that? And this would be, again, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. He's referring to Satan's diminishing authority for the child of God that believes on the name of Jesus Christ. And we know to this, if God be for us, who can be against us? You know, through the blood of Jesus, right, the Holy Spirit comes in us because our sins are removed, and now we have all authority, spiritually speaking. Right? Satan has no power. So his diminishing authority. Then, what's the next diminishing authority? Well, we saw this when we studied the fifth uh, trumpet judgment. Remember when Satan's giving, he's cast to this earth and he's giving the keys to the abyss and they um, allow that demonic realm to come, right? And to torment man. So Satan, now he has access to heaven to accuse you before the throne. But there'll be a time in the tribulation or he's going to be cast from heaven, confined to this earth. That's going to be in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's when all hell is going to break loose. I believe that happens not too long after the abomination of desolation. So no longer is he going to be able to go to heaven and accuse you. He's going to be confined to this earth. And that's when he let all those demons out of the abyss in the fifth trumpet judgment. Okay. Now, at the end of the tribulation, beginning of the millennium, what happens to Satan? He's going to be cast into the abyss, bound there for a thousand years. His diminishing authority. He's not going to be able to tempt the nations anymore. And then at the end of the millennial kingdom, in Revelation 20, it talks about how he's going to be cast into Gehenna. 
And that's his final judgment. Okay, so these are the different stages of his diminishing authority here. Right here, when it says in verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. This was his first stage. Cast out the mount of heaven, no longer able to govern. Right? He was a high-ranking angel, Ezekiel records. And also Isaiah records. High-ranking angels, he had authority. as part of God's government. But then he was cast from that. That's what this is referring to. So now he's accused of the brethren. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And so when he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. And those are the demons. The demons, some of them are confined to the abyss. Some have liberty to roam around and to torment people, right? And so this is that fallen third, okay? That's what's referencing here. Now I want you to note this. As this fallen third and the dragon himself, Satan, what is their primary, I think, one of their primary objective is to, is to take out Israel. You ever ask yourself this? Why in this world has the history dictated that Israel is so often persecuted? I mean, you can look throughout history. Even back in the time of Esther. Back in the time of Esther, they wanted to take out all of Israel. Remember Amen? But what about even in our generation, not too long ago, right? World War II, what was that about? Always trying to take out Israel. Why do you think that is? Because Satan. That's one of his primary objectives. Now, why would Satan want to take out Israel? Well, before the cross, it was to what? Thwart the birth of this child. But even after the birth of this child, after, you know, after the cross and after he dies for the sins of the world, he still wants to take out Israel. Because there's several things that need to be fulfilled to Israel. As I mentioned, the Abrahamic covenant, the new covenant them to receive Christ, right? And so Satan wants to thwart the plan of God to Israel. So even after Jesus comes on the scene, and even after his death and resurrection, Satan still wants to thwart the plan of God. God is not finished with Israel. That's the point. And that's the context that we're reading here, because this woman is going to be attacked by the dragon. Satan's going to want to take out Israel once again. And we're going to see that in the abomination of desolation right after that, the last three and a half years of the tribulation, we're going to see. And that's why Matthew 24 says, hey, you know what? When you see that happen, when Antichrist wants to be worshipped God, as God, as in the abomination of desolation, says, flee, get out of there, go to the wilderness. And that's in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24. Okay, so all this is the context of interpreting this. The dragon is going to attack the woman, who is Israel. Also going to attack... The birth of the child wants to take out what? Jesus as a little boy. When did that happen? Remember? The Magi, when they came? Of the descendant of Esau? He wanted to kill all the boys in Bethlehem, right? Two years and under. He says, I'll find the king for you. I want to worship him, but he was lying, right? He wanted to take him out. So we see how all these scriptures, right? They kind of, they dictate to us the interpretation of these, of these symbols here. Right? The woman is Israel, the child is Jesus, right? and the dragon is Satan. Verse 4 says, and the dragon stood before the woman. So Satan stood before Israel, who was ready to give birth, right, to devour her child as soon as it was born. So Satan wanted to thwart the child being born, and Satan wanted to thwart the child surviving. We're interpreting symbolically who this is. But we have a lot of what? 
lot of cross-references, a lot of scripture that support it. Okay, so verse 5. She bore a male child. And so Israel bore a male child. Now, a lot of people say, well, this is Mary, and it couldn't. But Mary is of, the, of Israel, right? She bore a male child. And notice child is capital C. So they interpret it for us. She bore what? The child Jesus, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. So what's that referring to when Jesus, what, rules and reigns? So after Jesus went to the cross of Calvary right, and died and was buried, and on the third day rose, remember he visited everybody in his resurrected body. In Acts chapter 1, remember he ascended into heaven, and they all saw him. And so we're waiting for his return, and when he returns at the end of that seven seal, what, what do we say is going to happen? He's going to rule and reign. And this is what this is referring to. So these scriptures here, even though they're symbolic, right, they point us to literal people, literal nation, Israel, right, Messiah. And then the dragon would be Satan. But we can see this battle. Satan, his objective from the beginning was to be against Israel, God's people. In the birth of Messiah, but also after Messiah, right, after he comes, he wants Israel to reject Messiah and basically to destroy them, right? And so even after Messiah comes, goes to the cross, and then is risen, right, he still wants to, his objective is to thwart the work of God in God's people, which would be Israel. And that's why it says here, right, the dragon stood before the woman. The dragon's going to try to take the woman out. Okay, now, let's keep reading. It says, verse 6, then the woman fled into the wilderness. So if this is Israel, Israel fled into the wilderness where she, was, she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now let me pause there. What's, how long is 1,260 days? How many months is that? Three and a half years. So what's 12, 24, 36, 42 months. It's three and a half years. Does that make you think a little bit? That's the great tribulation, isn't it? How long is this seven-year tribulation? It's seven years, right? And then the abomination that causes destiny happens right in the middle there. And so Israel's all fine with Antichrist before the abomination desolation, right? He probably brokers a deal so they can build their temple on the Temple Mount. They're going to see him as Messiah, but he's not Messiah. And then in the middle, right, he's going to, as Daniel chapter 9 talks about, He's going to come into the temple and says, you know what? You worship me as God. And he's going to try to kill Israel again. And so the last three and a half years, Israel's going to be fleeing, Antichrist. Now we know that 144,000 are going to be sealed. He can't touch them. They're going to evangelize not only Israel, they're going to evangelize this earth. We know that there's going to be two witnesses that stand before the temple in Israel. And they're going to be prophesying, right? They're going to be preaching. And as we mentioned, right, who's in Israel? Jews. Who's at the temple worshiping? Jews. They're going to be at the temple. And they're going to be ministering, right, the last three and a half years. And just before Jesus returns, that's when they die and they're resurrected. We noted this, right? All the way right before Jesus returns. And so notice the reference here to three and a half years. It says, the woman fled into the wilderness. So as these two are preaching right there in the temple, right, nobody can harm them until their ministry is finished. Most of Israel, right, they might be listening to them on the internet, but they're fleeing. They're being protected. And I believe it's the rock city of Petra. They go there for three and a half years, and they're protected. They're sealed. And why is that important? 
because they would survive the tribulation and live on into the millennial kingdom. And that group there, and it's going to be a big group, it's the rock city of Petra, it's a city, fortified city. They're going to survive the tribulation, live on into the millennial kingdom, and they're going to populate the millennial kingdom, and they're going to possess the land of Israel. So the fullness of its boundaries is given to them in the Abrahamic covenant. So you can see how all these pieces fit together. And that's why we interpret these symbolic personages as such. It says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, the woman Israel. Right? Flees to the wilderness. What's the place? I believe that's the rock city of Petra. I'm going to go to scripture that spells this out in the Old Testament. We'll close there, okay? And he says that they should feed her there 1,260 days. That would be three and a half years, okay? So Isaiah chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah prophesies this. He says, send the land to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness, to the mount of the daughter of Zion. Now, Selah, if you have a study Bible like mine, you can look at a cross or at a um, footnote here, chapter 16, verse 1. Selah literally means rock. Send the lamb to the ruler of the land from rock to the wilderness. Now, as I mentioned, they're going to flee to the rock city of Petra. Petra is what? It's the Greek word for rock. Peter, on this rock I shall build my church, right? No longer, he calls him Peter. Okay, so Petra. So I says, from Selah to the wilderness, to the mount of the, of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. So shall the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. Verse 3 says, take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcast. Hide who? The outcast. These are going to be ones that are going to flee at the abomination of desolation. Hide the outcast. Do not betray whom escapes, him who escapes. Verse 4, let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Do you think they're going to flee to Petra? And the Lord's going to ask Jordan, hey, let my outcast stay in Petra. I think that's what's going to happen. They're going to be allowed to go to Petra, and they're going to flee there. Antichrist is not going to be able to get them there. They're going to survive the tribulation, and this will be the group that populates the Millennial Kingdom as Israelites. And they possess the land. So be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. For the extortioner is at an end. Devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. In mercy, the throne will be established. What throne? This will be the Millennial Kingdom. And one will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David. In the millennial kingdom, there will be a tabernacle or a temple built. So he says, in mercy, the throne will be established. And one, Jesus will sit in the temple in the millennial kingdom. Thanks again for joining us in our podcast of Calvary Chapel, Iowa Park. We hope and pray that you have been blessed by the teaching and join us again as we continue to study the Word of God. Once again, you can always visit us on our homepage at ccechopart.com for more information and teachings from Pastor David. To God be the glory.